Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us today, Steve Hayward, who's a distinguished professor, the Ronald Reagan Distinguished Professor at uh, Pepperdine University and writes frequently for the Weekly Standard. Uh, how are you doing? I'm great, Michael. How are you? I'm hot, man. I'm so hot. Global warming is just cooking me, <laughs> cooking me to death here. I don't know what to do. I, I loved the march yesterday. I love watching it because it really was a demonstration of the silliness that has overtaken the what could be a very serious and important debate about climate, you know, the human behavior, etc. When you see people out dressed like cast members from a bad episode of Gilligan's Island dancing around Christmas Island, I mean Easter Island statues, you know that the debate is not going well for them, Stephen. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, it really has gotten to the far stage. Uh, and I think, uh, I mean, several things. One is to fill out their ranks, if you look closely, you had to grab every old syndicalist, you know, labor union, tub-thumping, mob, I don't, you know, you had all the cats and dogs of the far left that shows up for any kind of a rally to thump for their particular clause. I, I'll bet you find the Esperanto Association there somewhere in the <laughs> if you look for it. And, you know, it shows you the desperation of the climate campaign, or as I nowadays sometimes call them, the climatistas, because <laughs> they remind me of the, you know, the old, the whole Sandinista fascination 20, 30 years ago on the left. Uh, and you know, So here's the problem, uh, at least two aspects of it. One is, is that uh, the world now hasn't warmed for 17, 18 years, and it's starting to falsify almost all the computer models. I mean, right now, I think 95% of the computer models have been proven to be an error. And if we have another five years of flat temperatures, 100% of the models are going to turn out to be wrong. And this is a profound embarrassment. And then second, on the other side of the ledger, uh, the policy objective from the very beginning, going back to 20, 25 years ago and giving us the Kyoto Protocol, is profoundly unrealistic. And the environmentalists refuse to acknowledge that you need cheap and abundant energy for a growing world, not just our own country, but uh, especially the developing world. And that's going to mean for China and India and other countries, that's going to mean hydrocarbons for a very long time. You know, it was really frustrating to see signs that said, better jobs, uh, you know, more wages, end carbon. And I'm thinking to myself, you guys do see that there's a either or that you left out of that sign, right? Uh, well, the, you know, whenever I hear that, uh, gosh, you know, wind and solar and alternative energy would be cheaper, the question I always ask those advocates is, how come you're not a billionaire? Uh, I mean, look, cheaper technologies also are always the road to riches. And the fact that there aren't any wind and solar billionaires without massive subsidies and tax preferences shows you that this is simply a lie. Uh, and uh, you, you have to, it, it takes a special kind of economic illiteracy to continue to believe that kind of nonsense, but that's what these folks specialize in. You know, I, but uh, one of the things that the Weekly Standard focuses on is the political aspects of these things. And I want to spend a lot of time, we can go over the, you know, the, it has been bad scientific news for people who have been advocating the notion that we are facing dramatic change. Even the IPCC has been rounding down its anticipated uh, warming uh, down instead of projecting, you know, three or four degrees over the next century. Now they're thinking, well, maybe it's going to be, you know, a degree, degree and a half, you know, so, uh, and, and then you start arguing about, well, would it be cheaper to try to destroy the economy in order to have a stop emitting carbon? Or would it be cheaper to mitigate, you know, the impact if we do, if assuming we do have that change? My question is, do you get any sense, and is there any evidence in polling or anything that this is an issue that motivates Americans? Uh, no, very little. It, 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 an interesting thing happens every year. Gallup does a poll on the environment in March of every year, 
And climate change always comes in last on the list of environmental priorities for Americans behind air quality, water quality, preservation of open space, things like that. Uh, and then the Pew uh, uh, Research Center, the Pew Opinion of Polling People, they do their, ish, uh, their poll every January on top national priorities. And the environment always comes in 19th or 20th out of 20 issues people can choose from. And then go on. There's other surveys that show that the number of people who for whom the environment is their single most important voting issue is usually in the low single digits, three, four, five percent at most. And those are mostly people way on the left for whom the choice is between the Green Party and the Democrats, right? These are not sort of swing voters, right? Uh, so, you know, the, the environmentalists will every once, once in a while come out with a poll showing Americans are concerned about climate change. But that's those kind of polls that show that Americans are always concerned about everything, right? If, you know, if you ask, is, is education an important issue? Is teen acne an important issue? You'll get 70, 80 percent of people <laughs> saying, oh, yes, it's very important. The government should do something about it. When you ask them how much they're willing to pay, the numbers change very fast. So the president's going to address the U.N. In, uh, on this issue. My question is, will it have any impact on the world? And then will it have any impact at all on the United States, our policy, or the 2014 elections? Uh, I, well, if anything, it would hurt Democrats. I mean, you have a lot of, especially in the Senate, you have a lot of Democrats running from you know, energy stage. You know, Mary Landrieu in Louisiana and uh, what Allison Grimes in Kentucky and, uh, you know, you, you would think if you watch their TV ads that they were Republicans. They're, they're bashing Obama so hard on energy and the Keystone Pipeline, for example. Uh, so if anything, the potential here is to hurt Democrats. I don't suppose Obama especially cares about that. That's not a new thought with me, of course. Uh, and then the, the longer range is the, the, the climate people are desperate to get another global deal next summer in Paris when the traveling circus next meets. They were supposed to have a new deal five years ago in Copenhagen, and that went down in flames. And I don't think this is going to change very much. You know, one thing that the Wall Street Journal reported today is that uh, a new record of uh, CO2 was emitted into the uh, atmosphere last year, 2013, a 30% increase over a decade ago. And the leader of the way was China, right. who increased their global uh, their uh, uh, carbon emissions by more than the rest of the world combined. If China simply and India simply ignore what you know, happens at the UN, the IPCC, and in Paris, whatever. Does it really matter what the rest of the world says about it? Well, it doesn't matter what the rest of the world says, and it doesn't matter what the rest of the world does. You know, a couple of us have looked at Obama's uh, you know, EPA proposal to try to regulate greenhouse gases through the Clean Air Act. If you get full compliance with their targets, uh, it would uh, reduce global warming 100 years now by something like one one-hundredth of one degree. That's what the climate models would tell you. In other words, zero, zero effect. It would reduce total global carbon emissions by less than two-tenths of one percent. And that's why, by the way, if you look closely, the EPA document didn't claim any benefit for climate change. All the benefits were health and all kinds of other ancillary things, which, as I say, goes to show you what a farce this whole thing has become. No, you're absolutely right. And the IPCC is the same way, where they want uh, to spend you know, trillions of dollars to maybe lower temperatures by a fraction of a degree. Right. Not by, no, no one is saying that, these, that what they're proposing will solve problems. And that's an interesting thing to me is when the president says he supports cutting our carbon emissions to 80% of what they were in 2005 by the year 2050. Well, you take, as George Will did in a column, you take the population of the yeah. country at that time and the carbon levels that they're 
proposing and you've got the carbon level for each person that we had in 1875 you're talking about at the same amount of energy that i use today in two hours having to last me for 24 hours now we may have some breakthrough technology that makes that possible we may be using the delorean from back to the future where we're powering it with our nuclear banana peels but if we don't that number is just silly isn't it yeah, George, George Will actually got those numbers from me. I think I was one of the first persons to do the math on this and figure out that there, that emissions target we keep hearing about was last achieved by Americans in 1875. There are a few countries that have per capita emissions at that level. They are countries like Haiti and Somalia. And, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding, right? And by the way, their environments are dismal precisely because their energy consumption is so low. They, they have low-tech energy. They cut down trees. They burn everything in sight. They burn cow dung, which is just dreadful for human health and the local air quality. Uh, and so right, this is totally mindless to suppose that you're going to roll back to something like that. Uh, I'm kind of a long-term optimist on energy, but it's, you know, energy transitions are very slow. They usually take decades. That was true from wood to coal 400 years ago and from coal to oil and natural gas. And so it's going to take a while, uh, and you do need some big technological breakthroughs, and you can't just force those from on high, which is what people in Washington seem to think. Let me ask you one last question. I happen to believe that the mantra of drill, baby, drill is a political loser, not because, like as you said, people really care about it, but because it's a, it sounds like you're just ignoring the issue. Wouldn't a smarter approach be to say, you know, we're, we're going to use the best energy technology that's available and we're going to keep looking for new technologies to prepare for whatever the climate brings us in the future. And do you think that conservatives and people who are trying to stop the over-the-top climate, you know, Al Gore kookery, are losing the opportunity to win a debate by simply trying to ignore that it's a serious issue that people worry about and simply say, just forget about it and keep burning that coal. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you about that. I think Drill Baby Drill and certain other slogans do just sort of hand our opponents on the left in the environmental camp, an easy layup. And yeah, I think that the, uh, I mean, the natural gas people, I will have to give them credit. They have, uh, they could say more actually about how the expansion of natural gas has not only been an economic boom and for jobs, especially in rural America, but it has lowered our greenhouse gas emissions by a significant extent. It turns out the U.S. now has the best record in reducing greenhouse gas emissions over the last decade. I love the uh, fact that the Europeans whine about we won't find it, sign a Kyoto Agreement, right. and yet during the same time, our emissions shrank faster than everyone in Europe. Right, and that's because, uh, and then, uh, uh, and then, uh, yeah, likewise, I think the, the coal people are really on the defensive because coal is a high CO2 energy source. On the other hand, all the other pollutants that we really care most about from from coal are down by 75 percent. I mean, they should talk more about, uh, you know, the record of technological improvement with coal and how we can do even more of that. They're doing a little, but I think they can do more. Uh, but finally, you know, I don't know if people don't pick up on this, but throughout our little conversation, I haven't used the word fossil fuels. I prefer to say hydrocarbons instead. Because uh, even ethanol, by the way, is a hydrocarbon. Um, it's just made from corn instead of from uh, you know coal dug out of the ground. Um, and uh, you know fossil fuels is uh, it's what people always say, but I think we ought to drop that and say hydrocarbons instead because it's a more elegant phrase and it's more accurate of what we're about what we're talking about.
Plus, we can spend lots of money creating corn hydrocarbons that consume more energy to make than you are able to get when you burn them. And that's the ultimate uh, feedback loop for our friends on the Looney uh, Climate uh, Watch. Thanks so much, Steve Abbott, for joining us here on the Weekly Standard Podcast. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.